Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to Zine Kwan, a dance artist since 1988 and artistic director of Dumb Instrument Dance, which she founded seven years ago. She has had and continues to have a stellar career as a dancer and more recently as a choreographer with presentations across Canada. Her choreographic achievements are remarkable. Her work is often highly theatrical and explores questions of gender, intergenerations and cultural identity through a resolutely feminist lens. Soon after the pandemic hit, she opened Morrow, a studio and cultural hub in downtown Vancouver, offering space and support for emerging and BIPOC artists. She's a prolific choreographer, dancer and collaborator and increasingly a mentor and artistic leader for the local dance community. And to me, she's the epitome of style and grace with that all important edge. Welcome, Zine. I'm so glad you're here. And I am talking to you now. For us, it's March. This podcast will be going out in April, which will be close to your presentation of Rebel Grace, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, But that's kind of just a little bit of context for the timing, uh, particularly around this. But I'd love to talk to you and I'd love for the audience and the listenership to hear um, about you as an artist. I'd like to start one of the questions I've um, kind of posed to you is... um, what artistry is to you, what that means, um, maybe through your own artistic values and kind of at a grassroots level, the things that support and inspire your dance work today. And maybe a little bit about how this has changed over time, but really it's just a way of getting to know you, Zine, as an artist. So please take it away. (laughs) Okay, I think the question is, what is artistry to me? Yeah. Uh, I think it's so many things. I was just involved in a process this weekend with a musician and two dance artists and a third dance artist who's also a painter. And we kind of asked questions of these words, like what is choreography, what is improvisation, and what is artistry? I mean, it's hard for me to draw a line between choreographing a space, as I have done with Moro, or what the improvisational process is of structuring a work that is set or so that's my roundabout way of saying I think I'm learning and become beginning to understand more and more the artistry for me is a responsiveness to as much as I can porously receive about the world and It speaks to a lot of tensions that I experience, a lot of questions, and then also a way to offer a way of seeing, hearing, sensing that resonates with me and hopefully with my collaborators, and then to find out how it does or doesn't resonate um, with other people, ideas, images. So in that process, there's there's the responsiveness that becomes a way of, you've used the word offering, and then there's a process of working that out for yourself, for oneself, and then the sharing of that, the giving of that, which I feel is 
something you're talking about in this in this in a as as a process as part of that responsiveness is that process of like taking in and having things resonate but then also being able to share those with others I think that's what I understand from what you're saying do you think that's yeah. part of it for you yeah I guess a not so glamorous word would be regurgitation <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly uh, but in that process so many filters and so many surprises and magical things and much of that has to do with who else is in the room Mm -hmm. and what our conversations are and I feel like as a quote-unquote choreographer which is a word I'm questioning more and more I'm thinking about the word conjuring just because I'm so interested in how magical collaboration and creative process can be yeah that just never know what's going to happen and what's going to be there and Sometimes I feel like it's just like being open and noticing and saying, oh, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I love that. I, can, yeah. can, 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 can what you're doing be a part of the piece? I, it completely is in conversation with what I've been thinking about and it puts into form things that are still nebulous. And that's one of the things I love the most is working with people and how sometimes we haven't even talked about something, but then there's just this osmosis or kind of telepathy because we're all living in similar worlds and we're sharing spaces. So our experiences intersect in ways that I feel it's part of my job to notice. Yeah. I think it's a, a, a noticing and attending then, isn't it? There's the two, there's the two um, levels at which that, uh, that kind of engagement and interaction happens. Like the, there's the noticing and then there's attending to whatever is forming <laughs> potentially yeah and then um, there's just excitement things that just really excite me and I'm just yes. like yes nice nice oh yes 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 and you know that that will change with every day so I don't know so do, do you think that's something that you has you've carried with you through from your interpreting to your choreographing I also feel very much like there's a for, for me too there's something between I think choreographers interpret what dancers do sometimes and and I think that relationship between the two between choreographing and and interpretation are um shared whatever the role the person is playing but i i are engaging in but would you say that that is something that's that's you you had as an interpreter you have as an interpreter as well as a choreographer is that attention or that way of that excitement that forming of things something that is both for you yeah i think so i think that i've had you know with so many of the choreographers I worked with over the years, one of my favorite things was just to be in it alone in the room with them and to be in, this sounds weird, but to be in their gaze, you know, I think about, and in their gaze and growing to understand how they think and visualize in their imaginations. And and I think I've been really lucky in that each in their own ways, all of the choreographers I danced with held me in the gaze of their love that was in relationship to their curiosity and their interest. And I feel that in that, in that role, I mean, we all say this, I just fall in love with the artists in the room. That's not to say that there aren't conflicts and tensions and questions and, you know, differing opinions, but it is mind boggling being in a room with human being in beings in artistic practice and just yeah the transformation and, and the transcendence and the realness that happens that is just so brilliant yeah yeah the, that 
that presence unlike um, anything else. Yeah, it's in um, the turn of somebody's head. It's in just kind of the influx of how they might say a word that just just suddenly opens up my entire being. And uh-huh. I think that's the greatest thing to me about being an artist is there's so much hope and value in those moments of human exchange in a time in the world where there's just, let's face it, so much fascism and so many things that feel really apocalyptic in this real space. There's something sacred happening, which is about valuing each other as human beings. And maybe that's what art is, is valuing each other as human beings. Yeah, I think there's, um, and the choice to value one another as human beings. The choice we make on a daily basis as artists to engage that way. I wonder if we could maybe segue a little bit into your vision behind Morrow and um, the timeliness of it. Well, I mean, it's now, but and lots of things are now. <laughs> but I, I wonder if um, it's been a long, a long time coming for you or if there's something, if it's more of a kind of impulse or a response and an active kind of... Um, inactive and activist way of uh, uh, responding to things in the world? Or could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, if, if you want a question, which I'm not necessarily very good at at this point, because I'd love to converse, but there are two questions in there. Like, I, I, I'd love to know about uh, the vision. What was your vision uh, behind Morrow, leading to Morrow? And what is Morrow for you? Is it a, a, is it a call to action? Well, honestly, Claire, like I think I remember going for walks with my partner and we would see some empty space and I'd say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a studio one day? And my partner would say, oh, that's like such such a pipe dream, Zine. That's ridiculous. And really, there is no, there is no, what is the word, premeditative vision around Moro. It really was a pivot during the pandemic that was probably quite selfish and a survival instinct. I am an extremely impulsive human being and a very impulsive artist as well and sometimes get into trouble around that. And I just wanted to make this piece happen that we had received support to do and that was going to employ eight artists in that process. I recently actually found out that, you know, we had to funnel funds from two of the artists in order to be able to afford to pay for three months of a pop-up space. And two years later, actually, one of the artists let me know that I had hurt their feelings in that process. And like just so much to learn because in my desire to make sure that the six dancers were employed, and I also was not employed by the project. I also, you know, I was on CERB, but just there have been difficult choices that we've all made during the pandemic and Morrow was a choice. And I didn't know at the time that it was going to still be here and have moved, Um, but it has taught me a lot about being less selfish, being less considerate and just, well, how much fun and also how much beautiful work it is to, I don't like to use the word hold space, but to to enliven a space that other people make really, really alive. Does that make any sense? Or to support oh, a space? Yeah. Hugely. Yeah. And I think I think the there's something about uh trusting, I think, your impulsiveness, if you like, or trusting the idea of, of that what you might need might be that what somebody else needs 
at the same time. So by creating that space for you, it inevitably has created lots of space for others and starts to be used in a way that the community needs it to be used, right? They start to actually enliven it, as you say, and activate it, but it becomes very much, a, a very quickly becomes a hub for a community and they create, you know, it's it's in it's in demand. It's going to be in demand. People love to be there, it seems, and love the opportunity it it gives. And it, for me, it just expands the possibilities for people in doubt. I think it's so necessary and so wonderful and so precious that these spaces are shared spaces and that the you've created an opportunity for other people to continue to practice. So I, for I whatever so. selfish reasons you might have set it up, I thank you <laughs> for that. <laughs> you know, and nothing is forever, right? Like it's no. here now. And, you know, really I'm just given space is such a privilege. And that is something I very quickly realized and continue to think about. You know, there are of course hours when Moro is empty, but what I love is knowing that if I'm not here, somebody's here doing something, whatever that is. And increasingly, it's less me who is here and other people who are here. Yeah. And there's just a lot to learn about mm-hmm. how little I know about sharing with people in ways that are mindful. And I hope that in this experiment, you know, because it won't, this won't be forever. But I think what I'm gaining and learning from this experience will be with me for as much as I can ever be forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a place for like, there's institutions are around forever. I mean, you know, that's kind of their responsibility <laughs> is to be part of a system that is going to be stable and is going to offer that kind of thing. And then these other things come in as chapters in, you know, communities kind of existences and eras. It's it's like they're milestones. I think it's wonderful. So I know you've been involved in, in other spaces a little bit as well, like 45 West and all of these kind of independent spaces. And I just think that's something that's very exciting in a city to have all of these kind of almost pop-ups or all these other places where communities kind of they're building community, but they're also just able to work at the scales that they they need to work at at those times. And I think that feeds back into kind of the aesthetics and into the kind of sense of community wherever we go. I think you feel that when you go to a new city. But it does seem to be that it has f- filled a niche um, in some ways for some people. And there is there does seem to be a sense of programming that's happening out of the space. And that might just be the people who are kind of in residence with you. But it has turned into a, into a bit of a leader. And I'm wondering whether you see yourself as a leader or if um, that title makes you uncomfortable or what that does for you, especially having had the career you've had and the career you're having. I mentioned to you that I've always seen you as a leader since I arrived in Vancouver in the 90s. You and Susan Elliott were among the people who I really looked up to as dancers, people dancing at the time who I was really taken by, but who I, I've seen you and Susan particularly as being leaders of in this community on several levels. And I'm not surprised in your choreography and in your writing even and and in this opportunity you've offered at Morrow that that's continued. Um, But how do you feel about that? (laughs) Well, I think the word leader is interesting because I guess I associate that word with authority and with, you know, top-down structures where there's a leader. And so there are aspects of the word that are unattractive to me, but I did hear two words together recently that I think I would like to aspire to in times when 
people may be looking to my presence in the room um, in that way. And that was gentle leadership. And like the idea of gentle leadership is I think kind of what we do when we're together. You know, it's really hard to be in a totally democratic room where nobody's leading, but we're trying to find a way to gently lead a day together or gently follow each other. And it, you know, goes back to who's following and who's leading, like in contact improv, you can't really tell. How do I feel about that? I mean, I think a few people have said that to me and there's a certain reckoning that happens. And, you know, I turned 54 this year and I've never felt, I've never really felt like a leader in the dance community. I've never felt a part of. I've always felt um, on the outskirts and unpopular. And a lot of that has to do with who I am as a Chinese Filipina person here in Canada. That's just my own thing. So I think it would be really nice to accept that offering from people with grace when I can. Um, What a compliment to have somebody say, I want you to follow with me in a way that, you know, with respect, you know, I think we're, I'm so led by the artists and people I meet and work with, most of whom are younger than me, I have to say, and many of whom also are older, you know, it's, what is leadership? It's listening. Yeah, it's listening. Um, Degrees of, well, two, two terms I've come across recently, Uh, adaptive leadership is something that I'm interested in in the room um, as a uh, insight from dancers as well as the insight from the choreographer informing how a process develops that's something that's been is big in my research right now but also this idea of kind of a respectful wonder for different perspectives um, and a kind of asymmetry of um reciprocal asymmetry like there's going to be asymmetry in the room sometimes somebody will have to lead but the give and take of who that is and the why and the how I think is part and I and I would say that's part of it I think the one of the things about stepping up and acknowledging that leader is is to to also be able to lead differently you know to be an alternative leader in a sense and I and I wonder if part of that I feel part of that is um, your activism and again I, I feel like my choice of words might here be a little bit aggressive perhaps or uh, too conventional for for your response to things and the way that you've responded particularly to the Asian hate situation that was happening last year that your response to dance um, after being um, I think you were verbally abused uh, in Chinatown and I remember you publicly talking about that and your response to that was so absolutely with grace and in the way you know how and in the way you can be in control of I wonder would you mind talking a little bit about that experience and if that's maybe of the experience of dancing your response well it was two years ago and time uh, yeah it was at the very onset of the pandemic because it was May of 2020 and again I'm just really impulsive and 
yeah, it was Asian Heritage Month and many of us hadn't danced for a long time and I just thought it would be nice to contact some friends and see if they wanted to get together in a park and dance. We did a dance in a park um, and then I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to do something in Chinatown? And I contact, I can't even remember how it happened, but I went to the Chinese Cultural Centre um, to find out if we could do something there and then um, had an had an encounter with... Um, another person that just led to wanting to do a peaceful dance action um, in celebration of Asian Heritage Month. And it wasn't even a big thing. It was a small thing. It was just a response and a gathering of people. And for whatever reason, it um, it drew some attention. And I think, yeah. So it also made me think a lot at the time about, you know, social justice and people who really are in the world fighting, working, advocating for social justice. And certainly as an artist, it's not that I'm not interested in that, but that's not my work either. And because I did have some, that experience, the the experience of racialization and racism and blame for the pandemic that I experienced was really not that traumatic. I mean, I cried a bit and I was weirded out by it and then did something in response, but there was more like afterwards on Facebook, some person I didn't know actually said some terrible things and how I should be physically hurt as a result of that. And that was really terrifying. Um, and I didn't even really have the courage to speak up against that. And I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of the different aggressions that we experience as human beings, whether it's as women, as um people of color as BIPOC artists and as, you know, whatever our gen, you know, however we identify how that threshold of saying no, the threshold of saying, please don't talk to me that way. And it's something that I'm continuing to really not know how to do because I don't want to hurt anybody. And yet I have rage and I don't want to internalize that rage forever. And so I've been thinking a lot about how to communicate in a way that's not violent towards other people <laughs> in those situations. And I think that particular incident or act that you're talking about, the the um, the peaceful dance action at the Chinese Cultural Center, it was a very unthinking response to that particular situation. It was just like, okay, here's a way to do something that's not violent, that's creative and feels positive like I'm really simple-minded actually like and then once I start overthinking things then it's really really like living yeah. is so complex right yeah but like those you know those first impulses are sometimes so amazing and I think that's something we learn as artists whether we're told to follow the first impulse or to let the first impulse go by that's mm -hmm. something I think that as an artist I've learned that's come into my life in many ways is Sometimes just going with the impulse and then afterwards sometimes having to apologize or finding suddenly two years later there's like a creative space. There's so many repercussions of yeah. our responses. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, one response I want to make is just this idea of like you don't want to hurt anybody else or, you know, um, feel aggression towards anybody else. But then there's also having to deal with the that rage, as you said, or the kind of inter internalizing. So like how the process of in, of not internalizing the negative so much that it, you carry the weight of it, you know, just for you 
as if it becomes yeah. your problem, right? That, that is a, it's a... It's like an ongoing question, you know, when to engage, whether to engage, and then how to engage or how not to engage. And just last night I was thinking about, because, you know, I'm doing this work called Rebel, Rebel Grace, and I've been thinking about rebellion, and then there's a part of me that's like, oh, no, there was like the rebellion, rebellion that happened with the convoy, you know, and I don't want to associate with that. But then I was thinking about what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Russia and what a privilege it is to be able to speak up here in the Western world. And yet at the same time, how there are communities who, when they do speak up with land back and what's wet and strong and stuff, how, you know, that community of people was arrested for rebelling against what was happening to them. And I'm, I, it's a question for me when, Yes, like suddenly I was like, wow, what a privilege that I don't live somewhere or I'm not a person who's going to be arrested or killed for speaking up. And then yet also being such a coward that in many instances I don't speak up when I could. And it's really hard to figure out, like, am I not speaking up because I don't want to do harm? Am I not speaking up because I'm afraid of the personal repercussions or am I speaking up just because my ego is just out of compliance? <laughs> it's like... I well, it's, this is the overthinking, right? This, oh, yeah, this is the part where it starts to interweave with other areas and other people's situations and, and politics and other and societal things. But I think there's also, I, I'm always reminded of this, why am I talking? And, and the, the other one is, why am I still talking? Is something that I have to, I pay attention to in my head because I talk a lot. So <laughs> why am I talking? I catch myself, but why am I still talking? I've really been working on. With that in mind, let's segue to Rebel Grace, <laughs> to the performance and to the presentation you'll be giving in May at the Dance Center. I would love for you to talk a little bit about maybe that process, uh, your collaborators, if you like. Totally. Yeah, actually, well, I wrote the grant to do the project three years ago before the pandemic, and it was going to be a menopausal manifesto. And that was before the book was published, The mm -hmm. Menopause Manifest. Yeah. And it was going to be with Raina von Waldenberg, Delia Brett, and Cooper, Kage, Peggy, uh, Kage, Ikage, taiko drummer, Peggy Lee, cellist, and also Andrea Nan. I haven't forgotten anybody. And that was the original idea and was the idea that I pitched to the dance center. But somehow along the way, my attention and my interest in working with people changed. And I really needed to have different representation of bodies on stage. And I was really lucky because when I contacted Raina and Delia and Ann Cooper, who were all supposed to be in the project and explained to them that needed to change direction they were all so incredibly loving and understanding and this happened shortly after the peaceful action at the chinese cultural center so now the uh, the piece is no longer a menopausal manifesto although i may touch on some of those themes now the collaborators uh, some of whom are the same are kage on taiko andrea nan who's a dance artist uh, lisa jelly justin calvadoras and Roxanne Nesbitt on double bass and um, electronics. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I can't even keep track. Cheng Yan Boon, who mm -hmm. from the dance right here is the lighting designer, but originally James Proudfoot was going to be lighting designer, but he was yeah. busy. So, so much has changed. And, but now the work is kind of more eponymous with what the title is, which is Rebel Grace. And mm -hmm. 
I'm thinking about rebellion. I'm thinking about grace. And yeah, I remember somebody telling me, I think it was Robin Poitra telling me a long time ago that she saw me as being simultaneously very elegant and very raw. Yeah. And I see that too. Yeah. And uh, that's a high compliment from somebody like Robin Poitra. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'm kind of thinking about not in terms of binaries, rebellion and, and grace, but actually how those things can be together and how that is a way that I can respond in the world to these things that I either overthink or I'm impulsive about is like, okay, if I want to say no, how can I do that gracefully without also being totally subservient, like this whole model minority thing of, you know, doing things. It's a big question. So this is the exploration. And also just in terms of contemporary dance, again, hard to say without in any way being judgmental, but my work is not gestural. It's not about movement invention. There's not. So also just... I'm wanting to find the courage in this piece to just follow my interest and not to do what I think I should do in order to have people be interested in seeing it. So if it's not movement invention and not gestural, how would you, what's your relationship to the movement? To the movement? Well, I mean, what is gestural? I should say I care a lot about how somebody might just reach over and pull the chair down to yeah. their bottom to sit on it. That's a mm-hmm. gesture that is very valuable to me, for example. Yeah. I really, really, I really spark with images and I really, really spark when I sense an experience yeah. in a person's body. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, it doesn't matter. They could be doing a backflip or they could just be standing up from a sitting down position. Mm-hmm. And it's the experience that I think is being transmitted or that I receive that really excites me. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's something that I'm going to continue to just try to follow. And um, images, I just like images. I love, I'm the work is, you know, I'm very material. I've been painting props for days and days and days. <laughs> already chosen costumes like I kind of think on those terms in a very visual way of what pleases my particular eye in relationship to whatever um, concept I'm working on I hope that's an answer yeah well I feel I feel like that's all that all connects to me to the kind of way of how you conceptualize how that all of those things are integrated you know and how they're kind of they they all spark each other and and you're you're such as you're so stylish <laughs> you're like um, so um I think there's something about how not really like maybe like not really I'm always like wow look at all these like stylish people because like I'm just like surrounded by people who are way younger than me and I'm just yeah. like oh man I wish I could rock that outfit um <laughs> <laughs> but I think but- it's I think it's in it's it's in that kind of balance uh, or that tension that comes. I feel it comes with you, which is this this simple, minimalist kind of. It's this, you know. Like I think there's a really great sense of like I, I don't want to say it's editorial because that doesn't feel like the right word, but there's something so essence essential about it. I think that's what makes you such a great style you're so complimentary feels- other people might just say other people might just say why are you such a control freak why can't there be more mess um <laughs> so it really depends you know yeah. everybody has such a different perspective of, yeah you know, but I, I mean I'm trying to say you know I, I do feel like that's I do feel like that's where the integrity is I think that's what that, I think that's what you're that's what it is I think that's what you find or what you what you hang on 
um, in in the work somehow or what you hold? Well, you know how it is, Claire. Like I can't be anybody other than who I am, and I can't no. create anything other than what I create. Even though I might go and see your work or Deanna Peters' work or Justine Chambers' work or anybody's work and be like, I wish that my work looked like that. But yeah. there's just like no, this is never going to happen, right? And um, and it's also not the it's not the authentic part of you. You know, there's a there's an admiration for other people's work, and then there's a kind of checking in with yourself as an artist and and being able to stand by the work you create, right? The I think that's where the integrity is. I yeah respect you for it. Thank you for it, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing this show. Oh my God, I'm terrified. Yeah, I bet. I'm but terrified. I mean. There's- amazing people in the room and then yeah. that's the other thing is like you know how much am I even going to have to do yeah. um, a lot actually but I'm terrified I and mean, we've been I've been gradually working with the artists by themselves and then gradually with two at a time so that on March 29th when all seven people come into the room yeah. well I just know I'm just going to be terrified but also I also know that it's going to be an incredible team of people and that um, I mean that's the other thing that in the last two three pieces that I've conjured and found the resources to work with people on is that something has changed. And I don't know if that's part of what's happened during COVID-19 and doing things in less conventional creative spaces where just, you know, I generally don't like words like team and family, but suddenly I'm like, wow, we just feel like a team and a family and roles are interchangeable. And there's just something so nice about not being the last person in the room at the end of the day and having Uh with you or you know just flexibility around what our needs and wants are and that has been a really beautiful thing to learn Um, Mm -hmm. so I have faith that um, we can all make a space like that together in creating this piece and that is nourishing yeah that's as important as anything like you know whatever it is if it's childcare, if it's I'm in a bad mood today, like whatever, everybody's professional and everybody is human. And I think my hope is that shows up in the work. Yeah. And it will. And you will rebel with grace to all the way through the show and in the show. I I, I hope. <laughs> I hope. I know you will. So we'll, we'll bring it a little bit to a kind of a close in a way, but could you just talk a little bit about your career? My career. <laughs> Your, well, your, yeah. your life in dance. This is your life yeah. scene, Kwan. Like, <laughs> I've been dancing professionally, blah, blah, for I think it's 35 years now. And you know what's so funny when you asked about that question about being a leader? Like, just like everybody else, my entire career up until like very recently, I always had a job at a clothing store or at a bookstore. I never worked as a server because I just didn't work in a restaurant, but always had other jobs. There were always so many months where there was no work and then there'd be months where there was so much work. There were times when people wanted to hire me. There were times when people didn't want to hire me. You know, like the career has just been it's been like arteries and it's been fraught with insecurity and it's been fraught with determination. And, you know, I think that's what I can say. It's been changing and changing and changing and changing. And at my age, which is not even very old because there's many mature artists out there and I'm surrounded by younger artists as well. And there's no making it right. Like I used to think that you could, you would make it. 
yeah. or one day, or that some people had made it. Uh-huh. And, you know, there are aspects of that in terms of resources and funding, but that's a whole other story, you know, but, and there are people who are like, wow, that person just made it. And then they just decided to quit their position yeah. and just take on their personal practice again, you know? And so my career is an ongoing <laughs> conundrum <laughs> and I'm so blessed to do this and to love it so much and it's so much work and what a blessing to have this work to be completely exhausted by (laughs) yes exactly and I do honestly feel like it's a way of being you know there's all the doing we can talk about all the doing we do but it it's a way of being it's a it's a way of living it's a it's it is a, a way of life and I think the you know, like you, I've, you know, I, I've kind of, I do so many things. My, my career is diverse. Like I, I just, and I'm very grateful for that. I think that's putting me in a, in a very strong position to be able to continue. It's kind of nice to think that other experiences in life feed and uh, feed the artistic side and actually help carve out your own unique path and your own niche. And I think that those kinds of other experiences help help maintain a kind of uh, I don't want to say necessarily just idiosyncratic but but they definitely help um, formulate a kind of way of being as an artist that is a uniqueness to you know there's an integrity to the artist because of all of these other experiences that other people haven't had in the same way and I think that coming into the artwork is very important. I think you know one of the great privileges for me of being an artist is that I am. I think I'm a better person in artistic practice, and also a worse person. Like, there's room for all that in my own personal life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily attend the relationships I really care for in my personal life the way Mm. that I should, but I really try to attend the relationships in my creative life because I care so much about artistic practice and living that life. So, you know, there's a little bit of discord there. Like I should spend more time with my father, but instead, or like, you know, instead I'm phoning like somebody I barely know to ask them like, is it okay if, you know, like we merchandise your, you know, your creative thing at more this way. So it's an arena in which I want to engage and I want to invest my time. And I have learned the tools to deal with the ups and downs of it. And Mm it's an escape as much as it is a reality and yeah. it's as much a reality. Yeah. I have to just bring in and mention the fact that you have danced with your father. Yes. Yes. Which is, I mean, that's incredible. I, I think that's such a wonderful thing that you have done. So in, in the way that you, and, and with that relationship and bringing, so maybe that's how you had a relationship with your father was to bring him into your, the studio with you and put him on stage with you. <laughs> It's a heightened well, yeah. relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah, because we have a very difficult relationship and yeah. my father has some mental health issues. And yeah, yeah the, when we first premiered that piece, Kuan Yin, with Peggy Lee at um, the Fire Hall Theatre, it went really well. My dad is amazing. Yeah. He's brilliant. But when we did it at Dance in Vancouver, he was not having such a good time. He is elderly yeah. and was having, you know, hadn't slept and for days and days and forgot all the choreography, but had a grand time. But so, you know, for me, I was like, oh my God, we just had an epic fail in front of all my presenting colleagues and the piece seemed terrible, but it doesn't matter. I don't care. Like the experience of having done that with my father was, I'm, I don't know, you know, there's things that I can tolerate in art 
and as an artist that I don't necessarily tolerate as a person. And maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the next thing is to quit being an artist, quote unquote, and practice the art of living as a more porous, open human being. Maybe that's what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Although I, um, I, can't, I can't imagine that, I mean, artists through and through, you know, it's like it will come through, will come through the art. What's, what's now? We know that Rebel Grace is happening. And what's, what's next for you? Are you think, do you think about that? Are you, are you not thinking about what's next? Do you have things lined up beyond Rebel Grace? Or? Well, I'm thinking differently. I'm thinking about what's happening for me, but I'm thinking about what's happening here in this space for other people. So we have grants for more people to have more residences. I'm doing a, making a piece with Sarah Wong here in June, immediately after Rebel Grace, as well as doing Spells for Chinatown again, which was sort of an offshoot continuation of what happened um, at Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden. So I think really what's next for me, I could just go into, oh my God, I'm so busy, blah, blah, <laughs> is, yeah, just finding some balance and want, really, really wanting to continue to share space with people here at Morrow and also wanting to do my work and then also needing some more infrastructure with the company so that that labor is shared. And I don't know what's next, but um, mm-hmm. just keep trying as yeah. everybody does. Yes. Because it seems that the present unfolds into the future mm-hmm. in some way rather. Maybe next I'm going to go work at a clothing store again and work on being a nicer human being. That would be great too. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? It's it's all it's all great. It's all experience. I just want to bring up what you said at the in your International Dance Day message last year. You just ended it with like where to end. The answer is clear: never. What arises now more than ever is that art is needed. Art is healing. Within this great medicine of art, there is revolutionary movement, and however we choose to experience this movement, it is vividly within us. The dance is ours. Did and I say I, those words? You, you wrote those words, or yeah, or you paid somebody to write them for you and signed it. But but which, no, you you wrote those words. I mean that, and I just I, I feel very strongly that that is still so relevant and so resonant. But we are talking about you know, dance that's a, a kind of, it's so much bigger than us, you know, and so much like, you know, it will go on. But I just really want to thank you for that. I haven't had the opportunity to thank you for that and for saying that. But um, is there anything you would add at this point? No, I'm just glad for that reminder mm-hmm. that dance is a revolutionary movement. And yeah. that it is truly within us. I think that's really great. I think I would just, I just think based on this conversation that the dance is ours and the dance is shared is like that shared, I think, is the the word that I, I feel, you know, an affinity with you in this interview over that idea. And I, I just, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much thank for that. You. Thank you, Claire. You're just like so kind. Um, I appreciate that <laughs> uh, so much. Such a, such a pleasure to talk to you. It's wonderful. And I know we'll do, we'll do this again. I know we will. But um, yeah, look forward to your work. And thank you so much for your time, Zine. Thank you. Okay, and I'll just say hello to anybody who's listening to this <laughs> podcast. Let's get together and talk sometime. Come visit me tomorrow. Bring your work. Zine, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with me today. We look forward to all of your up-and-coming projects, including the world premiere of Rebel Grace in May. So the dates are the 12th to the 14th of May at Scotiabank Dance Centre as part of the Dance Centre's Global Dance Connection series. You can find out more about Morrow and Dumb Instrument Dance at dumbinstrumentdance.com. See the style for yourself and not just Zine, but all the artists she collaborates with and curates.
Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Centre, Twitter at Dance Centre and Instagram at The Dance Centre BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecentre.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programs and events. The music for the Dance Centre podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time. <laughs>